welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. Right now, it's just the OG3, and today is our 50th episode. Woo! 50 episodes. It's gone by super fast. It's probably a good thing because uh, in 2020, we needed something to, to help pass the time and keep things moving. We're still rolling, and uh, and if I have to say so, I'm pretty impressed by us that we've kept it together this long. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Exactly. You know, and for people that know us as individuals, I think they're just as surprised. I think that's true. I think that's true. So yay for us. Yay for us. The big 5-0. We've been podcasting for close to a year. Holy yeah, buckets. It's, it's it's a long time and uh, I, I'm we're, ha- we're still having fun. So I assume we're going to continue. Uh, and they don't hate me yet. You don't not, hate me yet. Not yet. <laughs> right? Not yet. Not um, quite yet. We're kind of past that, Bradley. Yeah. But. We've, um, we've, we've just learned to live with it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, today, well, you know, and obviously we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have our awesome listeners. So we have to shout out to them too. Just true. Just true. We, uh, we truly appreciate everybody listening. Um, and, and hopefully all over the world, there's lots of countries too. So absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. We're up to 12, 13 countries now. And yeah, it, we're, we're just excited that we, we've reached that many people and we, we really, uh, want to continue and hopefully one day we'll be able to meet some of these people in person uh, and i'm really excited for that to, we can go on a live tour <sighs> i i would love that i would love that oh. all right well let's get into the today's episode with episode 50 there's going to be some surprises along the way we're going to talk about outwintering, and this is a question that we got just this last week dairyman peter beck Shouted us out, asked for this episode. What's uh, up, Peter? Thanks. Through through Emily under the bus a little bit. Uh, a lot e- of it in his email, but that that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. We're we're used to that, and we don't mind it at all. Uh, so we're we're going to talk about outwintering, uh, and and it's a it's a big concept, and I think it's something, especially that we like to talk about with the general public if we can, because it, it's it's somewhat misunderstood, and people see it as potentially cruel when it's not. Uh, outwintering is a, a perfectly viable thing to do with with cows, dairy, and beef. Uh, that would be the second misconception is that dairy cows just can't do it. And that's not true. And that's why we have Brad here to, to tell us what they do up at Morris and, and how tough dairy cows really are because they can survive outside just fine. Now, Dr. Bradley J. Hines, outwintering expert. Exactly. And it's sort of <laughs> fitting today because we are in the midst of a snowstorm in Minnesota. So the cows are outside today and things are going well. You know, this is going to build a little bit off of our severe weather episode that uh, the gruesome twosome did the other other week when Bradley couldn't join us. And there's a lot that's similar to that episode that we're going to talk about today. But but for the most part, the big the big message right now is that, you know, this is a viable thing for beef cows. And I think everyone has accepted that. But this is definitely an option for dairy cows. And they're tough. You know, yes, they have some different metabol- metabolism and because of their milking and, and different requirements. But they're tough animals and they can do just fine outside. What, Bradley, I mean, what do you see is the biggest thing you need to do to be able to make this work uh, to house dairy cows outside, milking dairy animals outside during the winter? Well, I th- first off, I think it's it, it really doesn't come down to facilities or anything. I think it's mindset. You have to be prepared to 
you know, change at a moment's notice and be able to not worry that the cows are going to freeze outside or heifers are going to freeze outside or anything like that. You have to just allow it to happen. Obviously there's things that you can do from a management perspective that help with that. And we can talk about those, but really it's, first off, it's a mindset. It's just getting over the fact that you don't have to house cows in a barn or, you know, heifers in a barn 365 days of the year, uh, even in the wintertime. Well, and this seems like a natural fit with with grazing, right? Because some of that mindset is just being willing to adapt and change and and change things on a at the drop of a hat based on conditions, right? Right. It's you know, it's really it's a, a you know, kind of what we call low lower input dairy production where you you know, put the cows outside because you don't need a a barn or facility and you know, in some regard I think it's helped some beginning farmers get into dairy farming because you don't have to have all the capital to build barns or have barns and you can just house your animals outside with, you know, minimal. And there's other ways to make sure cows are are comfortable outside. And now Bradley, and maybe I'm getting a little bit uh, ahead of myself here, but with, you know, outwintering your cows, how does that kind of coordinate or mesh with you doing seasonal calving? And do you feel that seasonal calving is something that you kind of have to do if you're going to outwinter a dairy herd or does it all come out in the wash in the end? No, I don't think you have to seasonal calve uh, to outwinter your dairy herd. Obviously it helps if you're not calving in a snowbank or anything. So, you know, there are, you know, there are those things. I think, yeah, you, if you calved in a warm, dry, dry place, that's really to protect the calf. But once the the cow is outside, we don't really see many problems. I think it may be easier during you know winter to not calve during the winter um, because of you might have some frostbite or something on first lactation heifers. So you know it really it just depends on each farm situation, and obviously we know the weather is not the same every winter, so it's kind of difficult. and and dare I say it probably depends on your management as well. Of course, of course. <laughs> this is the 50th episode. You know, we got to call in as much stuff as we can that's here. True. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think about uh, that's a good question. Em. I hadn't thought about that, that, you know, is the is it necessary to seasonally calve? Now, I think Bradley set up pretty good to, if he wanted to, right, like to, to calve year round, even with housing ca- cattle outside because of the way you guys calve out, right? You have a separate building for your close, like when, when cattle are getting real close up uh, and you can, you can bring them up someplace where you can watch them and they're dry and, and somewhat warmer. Right. We, we do have a building where we can calve if it gets really bad uh, in the snow or wind or anything like that. I would say if you don't have a building to calve in, you probably shouldn't be calving outdoors in you know, December, January, or February. Really, that in my mind, I, I I wouldn't do it if you didn't have a building to calve in. It's not about the cow in that situation. It's about keeping the calf alive and keeping the calf safe. The wind, especially, you know, Bradley's in Morris, so and I went to school up there, so wind we we're familiar with wind, and that's a that's a huge piece uh, of of what you have to deal with, whether you're calving or just having animals outside, like Emily and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Tell us how you built your windbreaks up there, Bradley. What do they look like? How'd you build them? How big was the investment? That kind of thing. 
how about I, I start? Well, I think it's different for, for the cows and the heifers, you know, so that our heifers are outdoors and, you know, they're fed in, in feed bunks. They just have natural tree windbreaks. So that's, that's sort of how we keep the, the wind away from the heifers. And I'm not talking young calves. I'm talking yearlings, uh, breeding age heifers, and up towards springing heifers. So they, they're just with natural windbreaks. And that seems to do well if they can go into the trees or get behind the trees, you know. Trees are a, a great uh, windbreak, and that's helped the heifers in, in an outwintering situation. Milking cows is a little bit different. We have natural windbreaks too. We got trees, you know, it, I don't think it matters what kind of trees. We have pine trees, regular trees um, that help protect the wind. And we've also built some sort of man-made windbreaks, you know, just uh, what are called telephone poles uh, in, the, in the ground and, and uh, place some boards between those poles. And you want to leave a little bit of gap between the boards. You know, you don't want it totally closed off because you want the wind to allow to go through the windbreak. Otherwise, it causes other issues if the wind hits it and comes up over the windbreak uh, and can go right back down on the cows. And it really doesn't do much. So if you leave a little gap in the boards, it creates a great windbreak. And that's that's something that I wanted to bring up because when in our severe weather episode, I said that I prefer windbreaks that are taller with not a whole lot of gaps. You need some gaps. You just what I just don't want you to build a snow fence and expect it to to act like a windbreak. Right. That and that I, was my point. Right. And we're talking maybe an inch gap between the boards, you know, or a, a few centimeters between between boards. It's not it's not a very big gap in between. So you don't want the wind to blow right through the the windbreak, but you want some wind coming through there. And the, the windbreak to me, like Emily and I talked about that, it, I think that's the biggest piece. That is mm -hmm. the biggest factor. Okay. Maybe I'm going to, I'll probably eat those words in a little bit when we talk about keeping cattle dry, but like, yeah, I think, it's about to be like, wait a second, <laughs> but, the, but that ties into keeping them dry. No, I think wind in my mind, mm -hmm. wind is the most important factor yeah. in outwintering is to keep the cattle out of the wind. It, 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 it's such a big factor and it influences how, uh, how well those cows can stay warm in any way. And, and you can, you can see it if you don't have a windbreak built for them, they're going to, they're going to look for one constantly. They'll use buildings. They'll like Bradley said, they'll find trees. They'll, they'll do anything they can to get out of the wind. So yeah, wind is first. And then from there, there's a, there's a bunch of competing for number two. Right. But I, I think dry is big for me. Wind and then dry bedding is number one. You know, we, Here's my, uh, we'll, we'll put a sensor in it and uh, we can look at those cows. If you, uh, if it gets really windy, you can see the cow activity is up a lot. And if they're searching for windbreaks, the activity goes through the roof in the wintertime because they're trying to search out places. You know, if we have a really bad blizzard or a storm here, we'll have all kinds of cows and heifers show up on the activity list because they're just searching for ways to get out of the wind. But bedding, yes, number two dry, clean, dry bedding. And there's many different things that you can use for bedding. Uh, we, I prefer straw. It's, uh, it also provides some sort of insulation factor for the, for the cows and the udders of cows, because we're putting, you know, we have milking cows outside outdoors. And there are some people that cringe at that thought where, you know, people put their heifers outdoors, but could never fathom putting a milking cow outdoors on a straw pack. 
and expect that cow to survive they do just fine you know yeah that that's the misconception right i think we've we've babied some of these dairy cows for so long that that people assume that they have somehow become a different species and they're not a cow anymore they're, they're a cow they're tough you know i don't i would say they're probably not as tough as a beef cow but but they're still super tough right they're way tougher than 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 any of us yeah so one other question i have for you bradley related to dry and yes the bedding and this is something that joe and i had talked about um in our gruesome twosome episode and that's you know, the hair coat that the cow has. And obviously when they have their thick winter hair coats, them getting wet is not as much of an issue. Um, I'm just curious, do you, have you ever experienced any issues or I know we've seen it um, in the past with beef cattle, like when we had winter storm Atlas in South Dakota, where that was a really early winter storm. So the cows didn't have their thick winter hair coats yet. Yeah. I'm just kind of wondering what your experience is with that. Or, you know, we get early snow and late snow and all that. You know, a cow and a heifer growing a winter hair coat is is a good thing to provide insulation for the cow. You know, they can get they can get snow snowed on, and that long hair coat provides insulation. Rain not so good. So if it's raining like it has before in Morris on Christmas Day or something, I think a few years ago, that is bad news because rain uh, does not insulate very well when it hits the cow. Snow provides some sort of insulation, so. Yeah, early snowstorms I don't necessarily like because, yeah, they haven't developed their hair coat. One other thing we don't, and some people talk about, we let the uh, udder hair grow. So, you know, we don't flame udders or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, some some dairies do that. We just don't flame udders uh, because that provides some insulation value to the udder if they have longer hair on the udder. Now, that provides other challenges, but that seems to help out as well. I think we should stay on the udder because because what i hear a lot of times is okay you're outwintering this dairy cow uh how are you handling frostbitten and teats and teat ends and and what kind of dip are you using post dip and, and how does that all work and even you know you know, some people will claim that if you have a a, a really nice bedded pack and and you've got cows laying on it they're gonna it's gonna kick up heat and then there's gonna be condensation from the cow and then you've got wet teats and like all these other things. So how does that all, all play out? Well, for the cows, we, you know, we use a powder teat dip. It's a chlorohexidine powder teat dip. It's, you know, can be for us with our organic herd, we can use that on it below a certain temperature below 15 degrees Fahrenheit. So it has to be real, relatively cold uh, to be able to use it, but otherwise teat dips seem to work just fine. We don't get much frostbite above 20 degrees or anything. We do wash for it. Uh, we don't have very much frostbite. I should say we, we don't have, there, there's always some depending on the year. We, you know, here we are uh, a few, a month or so into winter and we haven't had any yet and it's been cold and snowy. So we're, we're doing good. You know, maybe one heifer a year. It's typically, we see it in the heifers more so than anything. Uh, but the powder teat dip seems to work quite well. It's just a powder, so that teat is dry when it it when the cow goes outside from the milking parlor, and keeps it dry. And then, obviously, the dry bedding. If you have, you know, wet bedding, it's not going to help. But uh, you need to have uh, dry bedding for that cow to go lay on afterwards. And if you have dry bedding and dry teats when they leave the milking parlor, you shouldn't have a problem with frostbite at all. We need to cut in here really quickly. Our it's first true. surprise of episode fifty. 
is a really surprise. So we <laughs> we are joined by a former guest and a very good friend of the Moose Room. Michael J. Cruz, PhD, is here. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Michael. <laughs> we uh, we're gonna have a few other people dropping in during this episode. Maybe not a few, maybe one more. Depends on what happens. But Michael J. Cruz, PhD, he was on the podcast quite a while ago now. Quite a while ago now. Um, but if you don't remember or you haven't listened to that one, which you should, you should go back and listen to all of our questions from Michael J. Cruz, PhD. It's a great episode. He is the extension educator for Houston and Fillmore County, Southeast Minnesota. How's it going, Mike? I'd say fantastic. How's it going for the, for the, you know, the team over here? It's good. You know, 50, 50 episodes is a long time. Um, and we're not, uh, we're not quite sick of each other yet. You know, Emily and I have our days, you know, yeah. But but Bradley, don't even get me started, (laughs) but it's good. It's good. We're just, uh, right now we're continuing to talk about outwintering dairy cows might get into some beef. There's really not a whole lot of difference between the two, to be honest, uh, in, in what you do to help them. We've covered windbreaks. We've covered keeping them dry. And I think we're going to move on to. We can talk about feed. Feed. First, I have a question for Michael Michael J. Cruz, PhD. I love questions. So Fillmore and Houston County, you know, southeast corner of the state of Minnesota. uh, Are you aware of of herds that do outwintering? Man, there are plenty. We have a very, it's a varied landscape, right? rolling. We have, you know, confined situations. We have people that outwinter. We've got people on cropland. We've got people on pastures, people using trees and every other thing to block the wind. Uh, yeah. So there's quite a bit of variation down here. Yeah. It's not all flat and windy. Like South, in Southeast Minnesota is the best place in Minnesota. It's, it's great with the river and the hills. Sorry, I'm biased. I grew up there. So <laughs> yeah, it's God's country. It's painted on oh. a barn. So yeah. Yeah. True. Right. We, true. we all have a connection to Southeast Minnesota one way or another. So, I mean, that's true. I I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. And, uh, yeah, I, it's not it's not flat, which is yeah. you know what I yeah, and with. so that landscape kind of lends itself well to to outwintering. You know, Mike brought up something really. He kind of said it in passing there. You know, wintering on crop ground. I that that is my favorite mm-hmm. strategy for beef. You know, your limiting factor being fence, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's mostly about fence, but um, with frozen ground, corn ground, crop ground is excellent for outwintering, especially because. You've got all your cattle depositing manure right there. You know, they're, they're putting, putting manure there. You're not hauling manure anywhere. I, I love crop ground for, for outwintering beef cows. And I mean, obviously that's probably an option for dairy cattle too, right, Brad? Because not all the cows are milking. You've got heifers, you've got dry cows. That's, that's an option as well, right? Sure. You can, uh, you can uh, outwinter them on, on corn stalks or something like that. Sure. That's uh, not a problem at all. It provides a little bit of feed in the fall and, you know, you don't have to spread manure and it helps with the crop ground the next year. So it's, yeah, I see that as a benefit too. You got to think about fencing it like in October before it, the ground gets hard, but uh, there is some thought process to to that as well. Yeah. And that's, that's like we talked about in our severe weather episode that uh, we tend to procrastinate and try not to think about winter sometimes just because we, we think if we don't think about it, maybe it won't happen. Uh, but you got to be thinking ahead if you're going to be doing something like that, especially with the fence. Some of the some of the fencing down here in the southeast is 
very nice. You can see that they've made a very good investment in it. It's it's permanent. It's there year round. It's not something they're going up, taking down to get equipment in. It's it's some really nice stuff here, and it works. And you can tell that they they that the system works for them. That that's the right word for it too is investment. You know, it's a it's a long term deal, and it, and it's it's valuable. And putting up a, a nice fence that you don't have to worry about as much. Um, is definitely worth it in my mind. Uh, expensive, but worth it. We have another drop in here. Miss Ashley Coles is with us. Woo! Hi, friends. Hello. Hi. Ashley has been on, she's been a consultant for the Moose Room, we'll say, for uh, several episodes. She was yes. on episode 24.5, actually, the infamous Burger King episode. Ah, yes. That was a fun one. Yeah. So Ashley is here with us dropping in on episode 50. We're talking outwintering dairy cows, Ashley. And we're about to move on to feed and things like that. But first, what, where are you? First of all, you look like you're in Nebraska. I am in Nebraska. So congratulations on 50 episodes, guys. Thank you. Episode 100. You better get us balloons. You can just and make glitter. a steak, steak dinner in Omaha. And I, glitter. <laughs> yes. Glitter. Glitter. I'll take the steak dinner though. I agree with Bradley. Exactly. That's that's a better. Yeah, I want better that. Too. The steakhouse in Omaha is mm, yummy. Mm. Yeah. There's I'll anyway. So ne- Nebraska. Uh, let's talk about winter in Nebraska. Um, not as much snow, not quite as cold, but wind is a thing. Definitely a thing down there, right? Yeah, the wind is definitely a thing, and it's it's not. You're right, as cold, but they do get a fair amount of snow. Um, and a, and a lot of moisture on a regular year, I guess, down in Nebraska. But uh, yeah, cow, a lot of cows out on corn stalks, beef cows out on corn stalks. There's not a lot of dairy farms in Nebraska, um, but they like to claim themselves as small but mighty industry. Um, they're working hard now to recruit more dairy farms to Nebraska. They're they're trying to adopt the model like what South Dakota is doing to recruit yeah. farms to South Dakota. So that's that's something they're looking at. There's no dairy processor in nebraska so that's another thing that um and hopefully so it goes into iowa or south dakota yep that's right mm-hmm. it does going to find a place to the hope of growing the dairy industry infrastructure in nebraska so yeah so we i work pretty closely with the dairy folks because typically after they're done being a dairy cow they'll be a beef cow minnesotans and nebraskans get along really well because the systems tend to be fairly similar uh when we're talking about cattle and the difference being winter. So, I mean, I, I think the cattle are actually fairly similar on the beef side um, in size, stature, and, and what we're able to do because of the quality of feeds that we can provide. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, the biggest difference is just the weather in the winter and what can we get away with in Nebraska in terms of grazing and, and body condition loss during the winter and how much we have to feed if we're going to keep cattle outside. It's a good place to look for for info and, and ideas. Um, just definitely someplace that I recognize not everything can transfer to Minnesota based on uh, our weather up here. Yeah. Sure. But an interesting, an interesting conversation that we're just starting down here in Nebraska is the uh, cover crop and integration of livestock into row cops with, with cover crops. Uh, that was a conversation we've had in Minnesota extensively over the past five years. And it's something that they're, they're really just starting down here, which was a surprise to me when I started working with the folks 
uh, down in Nebraska, but it's it's fun to have them reach out to folks in Minnesota to, to learn what works, but almost more importantly, what doesn't work uh, in their efforts up in Minnesota. So that's going to be a fun conversation to continue for sure. Um, the, the number one beef breed does well in any sort of outwintering situations, right? That that would be Hereford. So Black they, Angus, they Black Angus, well. you know, they are Yanina. champions. Brahmin. <laughs> Brahmin, you know, we I know. We should maybe for well episode uh, 50 give an update, you know, when you don't, don't you guys, or do you guys still ask your, your guests, their favorite? Oh, yeah. Dairy, we'll have like, to yeah. say that at the end. We'll, we'll say that at the end because Brad okay. just wants to hear Herefords repeated as the number one. <laughs> there is only two correct answers. One for, you know, it's, it's true. I'll agree with you on the dairy, but not on the beef. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about feed. Uh, we, we talked about keeping cattle dry and, and part of that is, uh, you know, it's just costs more the colder cattle get because you have to feed them more to be able to keep up production and body condition and things like that. And the thing that I've I've always used is like my rule of thumb is that for uh, energy requirements for cattle, they go up 2% for every degree less than 60 degrees if they're wet. Okay, so if they're wet, that's a huge increase to their energy requirements. And it starts relatively high you know when we think about cattle we think about them being very comfortable at 60 degrees very comfortable but if they're wet things get really rough for them pretty quickly just like for us when you're outside wet is your biggest enemy it, it really it depends on how cold the you know how cold the winter may be and how much more they're going to eat so you know we they, they may eat 25 percent more dry matter intake during a really cold winter you know, a few winters ago, we saw that they ate 25% more when it was really cold. But that one was when, it, you know, we had air temperatures that were from zero to minus 20 Fahrenheit. So, you know, minus 20 to minus 30 Celsius. So it, they're going to eat more when it gets cold. But, you know, if the temperatures are around 20 above zero uh, or right around freezing Fahrenheit, they, they probably aren't eating as much more than what, what they would on a normal basis. So, it's really going to be weather dependent. And I, I kind of make that my cutoff usually is somewhere around that, you know, freezing temperature, you know, 30, 32 degrees Fahrenheit, zero on the Celsius. And I, I think that for me, you know, what I think about, I have a bunch of rules of thumb in my head when it comes to nutrition, because I'm not a nutritionist. And that's the only way I can remember these things. So uh, for me, it's, you know, at freezing, basically, the normal 1400 pound cow is going to eat 35 pounds of hay, okay, of dry hay. And, but if you get, just take that same cow and make the temperature, you know, third, you know, zero degrees. So zero degrees Fahrenheit, that same cow is going to be eating 46 pounds of dry hay. That's a huge difference. That's definitely hit to the wallet. All these other things uh, that, that you have to be aware of because you can't give them the same same amount of hay and expect them to maintain body condition and production if we're talking, especially if we're talking uh, milking. And, you know, these are beef cow numbers in my head because that's that's the side of nutrition I get involved on in the most. But but when I think about that, that's a massive increase in hay. Right. So you want to prepare for it. You want to, you know, going into winter, you want to make sure you have enough feed. Otherwise, you know, you don't want to be in the middle of a really cold winter when it's minus 
Fahrenheit and Celsius, and now you're running out of feed because they've increased their energy requirements. So that that certainly can happen. Uh, but so you just have to think about it and be prepared. Well, related to feed, uh, and this is something again, Joe, you and I have previously discussed, and that is water and making sure that cattle still have access to water when they're being outwintered uh, because we know they're still eating a lot. They're eating more. So that water is still a necessary requirement. And we've heard different things of, oh, the pasture has a stream going through it or the cows can just eat snow. But as you recall from our episode, Joe, we were both not in favor of those ideas. A cow cannot eat enough snow to get right. enough water. It, it doesn't work. Don't, don't believe that. That's not true. You know, Bradley, what do you do for, for water? Are they heated waterers? Yeah, we have heated water. So it, it helps with winter time. And that's, you know, every, all of our uh, animal groups that are outside are all on uh, heated waters to help out. That's what a lot of people use. Now, it's not what everyone uses. Some people have natural springs and stuff where they can keep the water going. Uh, there are other reasons, but by and large, most people that are out wintering have heated waters. And, and if they didn't, they have gone to heated waters and that's probably the best decision they made just because it's just a lot less hassle to get water to cattle because you don't want a, a pipe to freeze or something to freeze and all of a sudden you have to figure out how to move 200 animals a mile away just to get yeah. water so bradley how does it play though when you we're talking about dry matter intake and how ha that having to go up right and usually that's driven by water consumption or if the water isn't available then the dry matter intake doesn't increase. I mean, is the drive big enough in the winter that the cows will still eat the additional feed that they need if if they don't have the water? Well, if they don't have water, they're probably not going to eat as much. Um, so, you know, it's essential to have both, obviously. I think that there, there is going to be drive to continue to eat feed uh, because they need to keep their maintenance requirements up or, you know, so otherwise something starts sacrificing and and milk production will be the first, you know, if they don't eat and don't drink water, then your milk production is going to go down and because they're all that feed is going to go into maintaining body heat. Uh, so something does start sacrificing when it gets to a certain point. All right, Michael J. Cruz, PhD. As an extension educator, uh, you get a ridiculous amount of questions about all sorts of things. So my question for you, Michael, is we talk about water a lot on this podcast and we keep coming back to it and we keep saying it's forgotten. If anybody's going to get questions about water and cattle, it's going to be you. How often do you really get questions about water? Not often. It is not on the top of my list. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting here trying to remember the last time I had one. I, it, it is not a common topic that comes in my office. Uh, I, I think that's that's too bad because I think it's it's one of the things that I look for first when I'm on a on a on a farm and when I'm evaluating farm or if there's a problem with anything I mean anything health wise first thing I'm doing is checking waters so hopefully well hopefully you'll start getting more questions after everyone listens to this podcast everybody's gonna listen to the podcast we gotta call this cruise guy okay uh, yeah, yeah all right there you go while we're on this topic and while we've got Michael Michael talking here. Uh, Give us, uh, give us your your best question from the from the last fifty episodes or the last year or so. I got a call about a neighbor poisoning a neighbor's plants. 
with rubbing alcohol. <laughs> okay. First of all, how am I supposed to save it? Second of all, what am I supposed to do about it? Right? Like that's yeah. I yeah, I don't so so the the someone thought their neighbor was poisoning their plants with rubbing alcohol. I don't even know how you Should get I, to that. That was a question that came from a from your podcast? No, no, that's, no, that's no. a question that came into my office. Yeah, some somebody called the extension office to ask that. Oh jeez. I don't like I don't like that. That whole situation makes me uncomfortable. I don't I don't like it at all. Yeah, a big one when I was a local educator was people calling about Minnesota fence laws and oh, my neighbor's fence is on my property and da 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 and I was just like I want no part of this. That's Here's awesome. a fun fact about Minnesota fence law. It predates statehood, if you didn't know that, about Minnesota fence law. Well, I, I did know that because of all the extensive, extensive research I've had to do. <laughs> yeah, that that's I don't like neighbor disputes. Um, I've been involved in a few on the veterinary side because of, you know, people claiming that someone is poisoning animals or, or anything like that. And I it's so uncomfortable. 99% of the time is, is unfounded. Uh, and I, I, it's just, it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. You gotta be careful with those fence laws too. Uh, it, a lot of, I've know I've, I've seen a couple of times people are like their fences on my property and then they get the survey done. And actually, uh, yeah. there's a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of property that the, 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 the person who brought the complaint, uh, doesn't own that they thought they did. So, Okay, so it's kind of a train wreck here. We're let's talk about outwintering, huh? <laughs> hey, this is the moose room at its best. Bradley. We we are just bouncing around. It's episode fifty. We talked about some really important stuff already when we it have, comes to outwintering. Bradley was just getting just, bitter because he wasn't talking enough. No, well, and also enough. fencing is pretty no. important to outwintering. I mean, it's, mm, true. Gosh, everybody's just going after me now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> shows you how much uh, love. Episode fifty. Uh, woo. <laughs> tells you how much love uh, they have for me on this podcast i love you bradley oh thank you thank you i'll give you all the swag i got so you can have it Mike. don't pass it around to anybody else well i well bradley you're, what do you want to talk about let's talk about more outwintering what else do we yeah. what there's else do obviously we something you want to say bradley is there is there a study or anything that that has been done to 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 show us what uh, the benefits or economics or, or how outwintering does for production? Well, I would like to give a shout out to my former graduate student, Lucas Sostrom, executive director of the Minnesota Milk Producers. He did a study on outwintering where he compared outwintering cattle on straw packs versus cows housed in a compost barn. And in a nutshell, we found that there's economic advantages to outwintering. I think it was Profitability was 25 cents more per cow per day in an outwintering system, just because you don't have cost of building and, and labor costs are less. So that's the real reason why cows were healthy. Milk production was the same, whether they were housed outwintering or in a barn, uh, just a lot of things. So it, you know, we, we have done studies, so it's not like we're, Brad's just rambling about stuff and uh, doesn't have any research behind it. So we, we have done those projects and um, it has worked out quite well. I, you may use more bedding outwintering. You use a lot of straw. 17 pounds per cow per day is what I would sort of 
think wow. about from a straw perspective. So that's a lot of straw. That's a lot so of straw. If you got a lot of cows outdoors, you're going to have to use a lot of straw. There's lots of things to think about. So Just call question, Lucas. He'll answer those questions. Yeah, Luke. That's yeah. Call Lucas. He he can answer all those questions. You can call Bradley yeah. too, I guess. But well, no. Call call Lucas and tell him the moose room sent you. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there's a lot of farmers that look at outwintering and they say, "All right, yes, outwintering makes sense," but they're still in the back of their mind. Like, if the weather gets bad enough, I need to be able to get my cows inside. So they're still thinking about, I have to have a building. Of course, there's some farms that do think that, that, you know, if it gets bad enough, you do need a building. And I, I'm not so sure that you do. I think like we've said at the beginning, it's all about keep, keeping them out of the wind and keeping them on dry bedding and keeping plenty of feed in front of them and clean water. So I think if you have those things, you're not going to see a problem. We, you know, Lucas did his study during the polar vortex of 2013 and 2014 when it was minus 40 Fahrenheit and Celsius, and we didn't lose milk production. We just didn't lose production at those cold temperatures. Granted, we're not, I don't have 90, you know, I don't have high producing cows outside. This is a grazing lower input herd, but they were still milking quite well and we didn't lose production. So I'm not afraid to put them outside. I, bedding is number one and keeping them out of the wind. Yeah, those considerations, if you can do it, like this isn't a, you know, it's nice to have the cows outside and, and, but I still have to have a backup building. You don't actually have to have the backup building uh, if you do it right and you're prepared and you right. have enough bedding. Right. That's right. Well, that's awesome. I, I am excited about this. I think, like Bradley said, the big piece for me when we're looking at this subject is this is a way for people to get into the industry without a giant amount of overhead to start. Um, so it's possible. And if you really prioritize the things we talked about today, I think that's, that's the way to go. You know, I mean, wind, windbreak, bedding, maybe additional feed and water being the biggest things you need to consider. So just like everything else, our management includes clean, dry, well-fed, watered cattle. And that's, that's about all you can do for them. And they do really well. They do really well. Ashley Coles, anything to say? Anything you want to just plug or do or talk about questions, comments, scathing rebuttals? Um, I always have something to say, Joe. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In context to, to outwintering, I know uh, Brad kept referencing the stuff that they're doing at their dairy, um, you know, but the beef side, I'm sure, as you guys talked about before I hopped on, is very similar in regards to the need for all those things, especially if you winter your mama cows, your beef mama cows in a barn like my family does, you know, making sure they have adequate bedding uh, made, quality bedding made uh, in the fall is key to success for that, but it does increase cost for sure because you also have to remove all of that bedding on a regular basis to keep them dry and comfortable too. So, uh, but in regards to plugging anything else, not really. Well, good, good. I, and I, I kept meaning to say this when we were talking about bedding, but they will eat it. You have to plan for that as well. Um, they're going, especially if you get a big drop in temperature, cattle are driven to take dry matter in, right? They're going to eat more bedding the colder it gets. If you don't provide more in the bunk, they'll find it somewhere. So um, that can burn through bedding pretty quick if uh, if you're not adequately keeping up in the bunk. And it can be an indicator that 
maybe I do need to put more in the bunk. So uh, keep an eye on that when you're when you're talking betting. Michael J. Cruz, PhD. Questions, comments, scathing rebuttals, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Congrats, Moosroom. Way to go, guys. That's number 50. I uh, can't wait for the next 50. Uh, as far as oh. beef are concerned, yeah, oh. Uh, <laughs> as far as beef are concerned, you know, local educators are working pretty hard right now to get beef quality assurance training out. I know we're going to have a few more of those across the state, so I'd encourage everybody, uh, you know, at the time of this podcast release to, to look into that if they need to do some of that. And keep an eye out for what Extension is doing for livestock education. Some good stuff, widely available. Good deal. Well, uh, happy 50th episode, Emily and Brad. Uh, thanks to Michael J. Cruz and Ashley Coles for, for being here today. For yeah. being the OG friends of the Moose Room. Exactly. OG friends of the Moose Room. And remember, uh, Hereford and Jersey are number one. Yeah, actually, if we look at the totals. The, you don't have to tell us. We already know. Uh, the okay, 50th episode scoreboard. <laughs> We can do it, I guess. I don't. We'll we'll do the dairy for sure, or the beef for sure, because I know that'll make Bradley happy. But okay, uh, dairy total right now. Holsteins are at five, leading the pack. Jerseys are at four. Brown Swiss at four. Dutch Belted at two. Normandy at one, and Montbelliard at one. On the beef side, Bradley Herfords are number one. Herford. Oh my gosh. I wish, I wish the listeners could have seen Bradley's smile. It is just like the smuggest little grin. That's kind of a shocker to me. Like, I feel like that they may have been coached by Bradley before they came on to the podcast. I, you know, I would have thought that as well, but I was here for all of them and there was no coaching. There was no no indications of Hereford beforehand. These people chose Hereford because they truly love them. Because we fans. know it is number one. Number one. Well, Hereford's is number one. Uh, Black Black Angus at four. Kianina at one. Brahmin at one. Stabilizer at one. And Black Baldy at one. So we'll have some more guests on here soon, and we'll we'll get these totals fixed. On the beef side, Black Angus will jump the board, I'm sure. Um, and then on the dairy side, we'll get Jersey back in the lead soon. It, it won't be won't be in second for long. We'll All see right. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scathing rebuttals, comments, questions, send them to the Room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. To catch up on events we've got going and, and the things that Mike was talking about, please visit us on Facebook at UMN Beef and at UMN Dairy and check out the website extension.umn.edu. We're on Twitter at UMN Mooseroom. Emily. And at UMN Farm Safety. There you go. All right. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. We've really enjoyed these first 50 episodes. We hope to be with you for a long time and at least another 50 episodes. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye. You know, we, we have done studies, so it's not like we're Brad's just rambling about stuff and uh, doesn't have any research behind it. So we, we have done those projects and um, it has worked out quite well. Mm-hmm.